you today. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Merry Christmas to you. And uh, we're going to begin our lesson today. And I'd like to look at the uh, a gift that should inspire us to give. And, uh, but let me just begin by saying I, I love the Christmas season. And, uh, and I hope that your family is blessed. And I hope you have a tremendous time together. And, uh, and, and, and not only that, I hope that you celebrate the birth of Jesus. Not just celebrate the season uh, in the secular sense, but celebrate the birth of Jesus. Isn't that what it's all about? To celebrate the life and the birth of Jesus Christ. And how many love the Lord today? He's a good God to us. Let's remember to pray for people and pray for those who are traveling this time of year. And um, I enjoy this time of year. I enjoy the season. Uh, I, I often think it would be a, a completely different feel for the season if, if giving wasn't such a major part of the season. And uh, we give gifts during the Christmas season for all kinds of reasons. For many, uh, the tradition comes because of the wise men. The wise men came and they bear gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and we open gifts as they did. We emulate their example and we celebrate the birth of Jesus uh, all these many years later by, by bringing gifts. And, uh, and like the wise men, we do it as a remembrance and, and as a celebration. And, uh, and I love that tradition. How many enjoy getting gifts? Getting gifts is a good thing. I like receiving gifts. And, uh, and uh, I enjoy, now I have to admit, the older I get and now that I have kids... Uh, I really, to be honest, I finally understand what it means to, that it's more blessed to give than receive because it's more exciting for me to watch my children be excited at this time of year than it is for me. And, uh, and there's a blessing attached with that. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit if, if we have time. But, but I love the tradition of gift giving. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's tremendous. I know some people shun it. Some people don't, don't like it. But I, I do enjoy it. But there, there's far more to be learned from the gifts that the wise men brought than just wrapping up things with pretty ribbons and pretty bows and, and, uh, and ripping into them on Christmas morning. The birth of Jesus was heralded by the angels. It was foretold by the ancient prophets. And the giving of gifts to Jesus was an act of reverence. It was an act of worship. It was an acknowledgement that he was royalty. It was an acknowledgement that he was a king. And this was a very profound thing that happened. This was a time, uh, this was a holy time. This was a beautiful time when they came and they acknowledged. Now think about that for a moment. These men and the shepherds that came and, and when the angels began to, uh, to, to, to tell the shepherds that, that uh, there was a baby that was born and you need to go find him. Good news, peace on earth and goodwill to men. Uh, it's amazing to me that, that these men were able to have faith and trust that a little helpless baby, a, a little child that had never accomplished anything this wasn't a, a wealthy businessman he didn't have a throne he didn't have a following he didn't ha come from a, a, an influential family he wasn't born in a palace but when they heard the good news they were able to have faith 
that there was something spectacular about this baby. Now, I, sometimes I believe that even today, God is calling us, calling us in this modern generation to take his word at face value and believe that something good, something powerful, something amazing is going to happen in the midst of a circumstance that seems insignificant. Because when they walked into the manger, when they walked into the stable, when they saw Mary and Joseph, they could immediately see that this was a humble family. Uh, they were in, uh, they were in a difficult circumstance, and yet they were able to have faith and believe that God had proclaimed that this was a mighty moment in time and history, and they had faith that something powerful was happening. I wonder how many of us today have things that God is dealing with us about, and we're looking at it and we're saying, "But Lord, it's..." humble i don't see how there could be revival in that church i don't see how we could ever see those people saved i don't see how that could ever happen in my life and god's saying i want you to have faith even though it seems impossible and i think that's one of the great lessons of the christmas story is the faith that these uh, individuals had even mary uh, and joseph they're the ones who usually get the credit but all these people that became a part of the nativity scene what we think of as the nativity today these people had faith even though if the world had looked at that circumstance the world would have walked in and they would have said my this is not this is not impressive and i think sometimes we're guilty of that in the modern church today we want to be impressed in the worldly sense of the term. In other words, we're looking to be impressed by, uh, by wealth. We're looking to be impressed by prestige. We want to be impressed by uh, what people have. And sometimes God packages things in very humble, very unassuming packages. And the church should not be judging things the way that the world does. When, you know, when you're a spiritual person, when you're a spiritually minded person, you don't view things the way the world views things. The things that impress the world doesn't necessarily impress you. Amen? It shouldn't anyway. Because oftentimes what, what is very powerful, what's very profound, comes in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. In fact, I, I want us to look at that. I, I want us to look at the language uh, of the of the great Christmas scripture in Luke chapter two and uh, and verse number nine, Luke chapter two and verse number nine, because I believe that beyond all of the gifts that the wise men brought and all of the tradition, I believe that Jesus, everyone said Jesus, that Jesus was the greatest gift of all. In fact, Jesus was the gift that mattered that that matters to us today. And so let's look at Luke 2 now. I just want you to notice the language. I know you've read this before, but let's read it together. Could we read it out loud? And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Someone said swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So when they found Jesus... He was wrapped almost symbolically in, uh, in swaddling clothes, almost as if a gift. It, it, I know that's just the way my mind works. I'm not trying to put something in the text that isn't there. But when I read that, it jumps out at me that it's almost as if Jesus was a gift. And he was a gift. He was God's answer to the sin problem. He was God's solution for what was destroying the hearts of men. For thousands of years it did. 
but he was the solution. He was the gift to the world, not just to me and to you, but to everybody. So God came to earth as a baby. Think about this for just a minute. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. God became a living sacrifice as a gift for us so that we could be saved from the grip of sin and hell. Are you thankful for that today? That's something that's worth uh, celebrating. That's something that's worth being excited about. And that's exactly what John the Baptist meant in John chapter 1 and verse number 21. It's uh, uh, 29 rather. It's behind me here. When he saw Jesus. How many remember this? What did he say? He, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus really was. He was the sacrificial gift. He was the sacrificial offering and the whole purpose of his life. And, of course, we celebrate all of the things that he did leading up to his death. We celebrate the miracles, and we're thankful for the teaching. How many are thankful that God has supernaturally and miraculously preserved his word so that we can, we can read the Sermon on the Mount? We can know with assurity, with confidence, that we have the word of God every time we open up our Bible. How many believe that today? When you read your Bible, you're not just reading man-made words. You're reading the Word of God. Amen. That's a powerful thing. And so I'm thankful for the life of Jesus. I'm thankful for the example that he left to us. But, but really, the purpose of his life beyond all of those things was so that he could be the sacrifice for me and for you. Just like the gift when, when God told Abraham to take uh, his son up and to be a sacrifice. And just in that moment, God was looking to see his heart, what he was willing to, to give up. And just in that moment, God sent the gift of a ram. How many remember that? He sent that gift at that last moment. And Jesus is that gift that came into the world unexpectedly, unassumingly, and literally has changed the world. And not only that, more importantly, we talk about big, grandiose words like Jesus changed the world, and he has changed the world. But you know what's just as important to God? That, that Jesus has changed my world, and he's changed your world. He's not just concerned with, of course, he's concerned globally. He's concerned with, with everybody's heart. But he can come right down into your life, and he can look into your situation, and he cares about the condition of your individual heart. Don't ever think that you're just a number to God or you're just or you're just some insignificant. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is concerned with the tears that you cry. He's concerned with with what you're going through and he cares for you. And the gift of his birth and his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection is the proof that God loves his children and he cares about us so jesus now let me let me get back to this jesus was god robing himself in humanity and presenting himself as the greatest gift that humanity has ever has ever received now john three sixteen. it's behind me on the screen we know this verse it's not usually quoted in the christmas pageants or in the christmas plays but it is in my mind the quintessential christmas verse let's read it together for god so loved the world that he gave. Let's just pause there and let that sink in. For God so much loved the world that he gave. Look at your neighbor and say, he gave. He gave. 
as a gift his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but what have a good life no 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 have money and cars and fame and big houses no 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 that was never that was never the reason that Jesus came he came so that we could have what everlasting life what does that tell us that Jesus is more concerned with the condition of your spiritual man and your soul. But that's a lesson for, for another day. Amen. And so that's the deeper reason why I, I celebrate the season of Christmas by giving. I do it in remembrance of the almost unbelievable fact that God gave us a gift that we could never, ever, ever, ever repay. In fact, that little phrase... For God, can we say that together? For God so much loved the world that he gave. Encapsulates a large part of what it means to be a Christian. We're, we are called, now, now let me focus on this for a minute. Every one of us here today, everyone under the sound of my voice, we are called. If you, if you call yourself a Christian, then you are called to be a giver. A giver. And not just at Christmas time, but all year, all year long. If you're... And, you know, some people get a little bit jaded about Christmas, and I understand it because uh, the season, it, it can be stressful for some people. I understand that. I'm, I'm not being critical. Uh, but I encourage everyone here today to step back and try to become joyful about giving. We can either let the gifts we give, uh, not just at Christmas time, but all year long, we can either allow the gifts that we give to be an obligation where we do it almost out of because we have to, or we can do it joyfully as unto the Lord. How many know that's biblical? And we can choose to give with a good attitude. I think that's what Paul was talking about when he said, let me change the screen here, when he said that give not grudgingly or out of necessity. And what did he say? We've quoted this a thousand times. For God loveth. Can we smile and say that? Would that hurt us too much? For God loveth a cheerful. See, you can't frown and read that scripture. <laughs> You're not supposed to frown and read that scripture. You're supposed to smile. For God loveth a cheerful giver. So the attitude behind our giving really does uh, matter. There's a huge difference between giving begrudgingly or giving angrily or giving, uh, or giving because you want to get something back and, and giving joyfully. How many want to give joyfully today? And, and this is true whether you're giving. Now, I want to be clear about this. This is true whether you're giving to the Lord or you're giving to somebody else. You're giving to a person, whether they're in need or just because you want to bless them. Or, or, or if you're giving to a family member, this is true across the board. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, don't raise your hand and don't look at the person next to you. <laughs> but have you ever received a gift from somebody? And you could tell by their body language or for whatever reason that they really didn't want to give you a gift. Maybe, no? Some of y'all are kind of... Don't look at the person next to you. and Don't look across the sanctuary. And that happens sometimes. Or, or sometimes you can tell that someone's doing it out of obligation or they're giving out of guilt or because, uh, because for some reason it's your birthday and I feel obligated. You ever feel that way before? It's like, and and it, all, it doesn't feel right, does it? In fact, 
sometimes when that happens, you almost don't want to receive the gift. Or have you ever, don't, again, don't look, but have you ever received a gift from somebody where you knew that there were going to be strings attached? Amen? Where you knew that if you accepted that gift, now if you didn't accept it, you're going to be rude, but if you accepted it, there were going to be expectations attached to the giving. And so sometimes people just give almost mechanically. And there's been times where maybe it's just me, but sometimes you almost want to just give it back to somebody and say, you know what, uh, don't, don't worry about it. Because the attitude behind giving is very important. Having a, a proper attitude when giving to God is very important. And in, and in our relationships with other people. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, uh, one time I had a friend. He, it was his 15-year wedding anniversary. And he forgot about it until about, about, <laughs> about 30 minutes before he was supposed to meet his wife for dinner after work. And so he rushed off and, and he went and, uh, and he got her what he thought that she would. He, he got her something that he would like that he thought that she would want. And he went out and he bought her a big package of gummy bears. Now, I can just tell you, there was no thought put into that gift. And she knew it. There was no getting around that. And I can tell you, she did not accept the gummy bears. <laughs> because the attitude behind your giving is very important in every area of life. And, of course, sometimes when a preacher talks about this, we, uh, we, we only focus on giving to, to the things of God. And we should talk about that. That's very important. But it's also important in our relationship with other people. But on the flip side of that, you never forget people who give out of the goodness of their heart, especially when they give unexpectedly, especially when they surprise you and you can tell. Have you ever received a gift from somebody and they were so excited to give it to you? Nobody's ever had that happen, I guess. Y'all need to get some friends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Where somebody gives you a gift and they're excited. You know, my kids do that. My daughter will, she'll, she'll draw pictures and she's really, uh, of course, I think she's great. But, you know, she's my daughter. I'm, 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 uh, I'm you know, I'm probably not an a impartial judge there. But she'll draw these beautiful pictures and she'll bring them and she wraps them up now. And she does. In fact, I went into the house the other day and on all of the light switches, she had cut out snowflakes and she'd put a little hole right in the middle of the snowflake to where it would be a, where it would be a, a, a a light switch cover. Well, that's pretty genius. We may start a company with that. She may be on to something big. We, we may make some holiday. No, I'm just kidding. But it was beautiful. It really was nice. And she had colored it and all these things. And, and, she, and she'll bring me these gifts. And she'll be excited to give it to me. You know, because children often naturally have a heart that's pleasing to God. Did you know that? That's why, why Jesus said, you know, you, except you become as a little child. Sometimes we need to go back to that childhood mentality where we are excited to be selfless and we're excited to give. I'll, I'll never forget. How many have ever had someone give to you and it impacted your life and you never forgot it? it it's not always big things. It's not always little things, but it, it does impact our life. I'll never forget. My wife's not in here. Uh, if she would, she, we, we've often talked about this together. Uh, she's teaching Sunday school right now, but I'll never forget evangelizing. It was our very first, 
we evangelized for almost four years roughly, and it was our very first three months evangelizing, and we were scared to death. We didn't know what was going to happen, and uh, we just launched out by faith. And, uh, and I was asked to, to travel all the way to Branson, Missouri, and I was asked to, to speak to a large group. There was about 100 uh, PKs or preacher's kids. And, uh, and, and they, because I'm a preacher's kid, and they wanted me to come and, and talk to this group. They were all teenagers. Uh, and, um, and so I, I, I accepted the invitation. But it was kind of far away. I was, I was about an 18-hour drive from Branson. And, uh, and we decided to go, but my, we had been in a revival, and, uh, we, had, and we were in a, a desperate financial situation. Has anyone ever been in a desperate financial situation? And we were. And sometimes when you're evangelizing, you are. And sometimes you aren't. And, uh, and we were still very new and very green. And, and, uh, and, but I felt the Lord say to go ahead and go and, and because I had a word for these, these PKs. And so I decided to go even though really all we had was the gas money to get there. And that's, that's the honest truth. We had the gas money to get there. And, and then they told me that all the hotels were, were full up except for the most expensive hotel in town. And the only room that they had available was, a, was you know like a honeymoon suite, which means it's about twice as expensive as all the other rooms. And so we're thinking, and I literally, I almost didn't go. And I, I, I prayed about it and I kept feeling the Lord just nudge me. And I was pretty sure it wasn't the pizza, but it was the Lord nudging me to go, to go ahead and talk to these young people. But we didn't know what we were going to do. And, uh, and we got there. We, we, um, we were able to put the room. We didn't really have the money to pay the room. And I will never forget, this was a conference. It was an ongoing conference. And I'll never forget the first night of the conference, I walked in. And a pastor that I had never met before in my entire life, I had never had a conversation with him. Now, I knew who he was. Uh, I had heard his messages, and I had tremendous respect for him. But I did not know him personally, and he did not know who I was. He didn't even know my name. And he walked up to me, and he began to cry. And, 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 and he said, I don't know why, but I felt impressed to give you this. And he handed me a $100 bill. I will never forget that as long as I live. I remember being being grateful because I I wrote him a little letter about a month later and, and I sent it to him as brother uh, brother Carlton Watkins in Texas and uh, and I'll never forget I wrote him a letter and thanked him for that and it wasn't but two months later that he passed away and I'm going to tell you I will always honor the memory of that man that was hum- humble and allowed the Lord to move him and it blessed my life but that wasn't all you know a hundred dollars now I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but $100 wouldn't have covered our trip or, or our expenses by any stretch of the imagination. I walked out of that room from, from him. I was feeling emotional. I walked out of that room, and I went to a, into a, another meeting, and, and another preacher walked up to me that I had never met in my entire life, and he put $200. Can I tell you, over the course of that week, People put $1,000 in my hand, and it covered the expenses of that trip. I give honor to all of those people, and I will never forget. Now, here's the thing. I didn't have a sign on my head. My wife and I smiled the whole time. You would have never known that we were nervous about our circumstances. In fact, I was the featured speaker for the PK event, and probably everybody thought that, I was, that everything was going great for me. Really? Really? 
People would have thought that because that's what you do. You shouldn't advertise it. shouldn't put on sackcloth and ashes and put you know, ashes on your head and, oh, woe is me. No, 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 no. But if you walk uprightly and joyfully and you trust God and hold your head up, God will provide for his children. God will bless, but he will use his people to do it. Sometimes I think we say, well, God will bless me. And, and, and what we do is if we're not careful, we take the human equation out of it. But God has always chosen to use people. And so sometimes we have to say, Lord, do you want me to be the giver today? Or are you blessing me today? But if you're always asking, not nah, this is where we're not going to like it. If we're always receiving and we're never giving, then we're out of the will of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with receiving because God desires to give good gifts to his people. But then God calls us to turn around and do the same for somebody. That's the beauty of what it means to be a child of God is that we're not selfishly clinging to blessings, but that we are being we are being blessed and we're passing that blessing on every opportunity that we can. That's the beauty. I'll never I'll never forget that week. And I could tell story after story after story. I, I remember uh, I'm not going to get as far as I want to go. I, we went my wife and I uh, uh, before this that story, uh, we moved to church, became an assistant pastor, and we both quit very, very lucrative jobs. We both had very, very good jobs in, in upper management. And we quit those jobs, and we took about a 70% pay cut to go be an assistant pastor at a church about 1,000 miles from where we live with no family around. And I will never forget, we were nervous. Julia was, was just born. She was just a few, she was two weeks old. And uh, we were very nervous. Here we were just having a child and launching out by faith, taking a 70% pay cut to, to go into the ministry and to follow the call of God. You know, the call of God will not always take you to comfortable places. Sometimes it'll, it'll cause you to sacrifice. And, but we knew we were in the will of God. And, uh, and I, I, I'll never forget, we, we went into that church. We didn't know, really, I, I didn't have much of a, uh, a past with the pastor uh, we were introduced through a, a mutual friend who was a pastor, and, and I didn't know the people of the church. And, uh, but we got there, and I will never forget, we, we, uh, we were, you know, we, you know, when you first have a baby, John, Vera, you're going to need lots of diapers, praise God. <laughs> and we were nervous, you know, diapers are expensive. They really are. And I will never forget, we walked into our very first service on staff as the assistant pastor of the First United Pentecostal Church of Natchez, Mississippi. And they began to walk in with wheelbarrows. They brought in 20 wheelbarrows full of diapers that had about 20 or 30 diapers to a pack. Uh, for all ages, do you know we didn't have to buy diapers for two years? Now, I'm going to tell you, I will never forget. That wasn't money. It wasn't somebody handed me a paycheck, but the church had got together and they all just went and bought one pack of diapers. And when everybody got together and bought one pack of diapers, it was enough to take care of my family for two years. Can I tell you that was a tremendous blessing? And I give honor to the people who had a heart to give and a heart to love, and I will never forget that. And so in turn, we should turn around and try to give to others. You know, and sometimes what people give us is not monetary. It's not financial but it's sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's advice or time or love or compassion or energy 
Sometimes just taking an effort to go over and say, and say I love you and I appreciate you and, and, and I'd like to get with you sometime. Did you know that can make all the difference in somebody's life? Because you don't know someone may be on the verge of making a decision that will destroy their life. And they're waiting for somebody to just give them a little time, a little love, and a little attention. Amen. And so we give those things. If I had to boil Christianity down to two words, it'd be hard to do. But I think that I could boil Christianity down to selflessness and giving. Selflessness and giving. Because you cannot be a Christian without being a selfless giver. And I'm not just talking about money. I know we shut down when we talk about money. But I'm talking about all the things I just mentioned. Time. Love. Here's one. Forgive Cannot be a Christian if you're unwilling to give forgiveness as a gift. But they've not asked me to forgive them, Brother Ryan. They don't have to. It's not about them. They have to deal with their relationship with God. But if we want to have a right relationship with God, we have to be willing to offer the gift of forgiveness even when people do not deserve it. Does that mean you have to trust them? No. Does that mean you have to that you have to open your life to where they can hurt you again necessarily? No, but you do have to forgive them and turn them over to God. Amen. And so we're all called we're all called to be givers. Calvin Coolidge once said that no person was ever honored for what he received, he was honored for what he gave. Albert Einstein once said the value of a man resides in what he gives and not in what he's capable of receiving. I like that. The great Dr. Richard Bernstein once said it is possible to give without loving, but it is impossible to love without giving. I think that's true. It's possible to give without loving, but it is not possible to love without giving. Amen. Praise God. So let's talk about the biblical definition of giving for just a minute. If you give expecting something in in return, you haven't given a gift, you've made a trade. There's a difference between trading and giving. If you're trading a favor, that's not a gift. But giving is something that is done without strings. A true gift is always given humbly. And we all know the scripture in Acts that says where it is that, that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that flies in the face of what our flesh tells us because our flesh doesn't agree with that, does not Our flesh kind of pushes against that. And in fact, I feel it in my own flesh when I say that. My flesh just kind of, kind of reacts to that because our carnal nature doesn't feel like that's true because we like to get stuff and we want to receive things and, and we feel as though it's more blessed for us to receive. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. And this theme of giving and giving is represented almost everywhere that you look in your Bible. Let's look at that. The word given, actually I'm going to go back right here. The word given is used 497 times in your Bible. The word give is used 881 And the word gave is used 465 times. The word giveth in the Old English and the KJV is used 126 times for a grand total of 1,969 times. And we haven't even looked up the word gift yet in the Bible. Wow. I think giving is important to God, don't you? Now, I've actually been studying all 1,969 of those verses So I hope you're comfortable this morning because what I'd like to do now is I'd like to take the next 48 hours and cover all. (laughs) 
No, I'm just kidding. But I will use the next about 10 minutes that we have here, and I'd like to take a, a closer look at a few key verses about giving. And there's so many, and I'm going to do my best not to go to the, the ones that we, that we always think of right away. Uh, but uh, let's begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 24. This may be the last point I can get to. I have so much more that I'd like to do. Ephesians 5 and verse 24 and 25. Therefore, could we read this together? Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself, gave himself. Look at your neighbor and say, he gave himself, gave himself for it. Okay, so I got to hurry here. Let's see if we can break this down to its simplest terms because a lot of people cringe when they read verse 24 because all they hear is let wives be subject to their husbands and then they tune out and they run from the scripture. And, uh, and there's a biblical hierarchy represented here. Number one, Christ is the head of the church. How many believe that today? And the, and the church is subject to Christ's authority. But Christ earned that authority, not by violence, not with a hostile takeover, not by coming in with a sword and vengeance. No, he did so by loving the church so much that he suffered and he died for his bride. Christ gave us the gift. Not only did God give himself, he gave the baby Jesus, but he gave us the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can you say praise the Lord? His own spirit that Jesus described as what? The comforter. Jesus said to the budding churches at his ascension, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of of the world. So you don't have to worry about Jesus running around on his bride or leaving them all alone or leaving them by themselves. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13 and 5. And you don't have to worry that his feelings about his bride will suddenly change because the word declares that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think somebody ought to give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise and adoration. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. So, if Jesus is the perfect example that husbands are mandated by the word of God to follow, then husbands, now listen to me, sir, must be selfless, loving, kind, faithful, dependable, trustworthy, reliable, honest, full of integrity, a provider, a provider, a provider, a defender, a defender, a protector, a righteous leader, and a comforter. Amen. And willing to lay down his life if necessary. In other words, a husband, if he wants to be like Christ and love his bride like Christ loves his bride, then he loves his wife more than he loves his own life. Amen. Now we're talking about in the bonds of a, of a godly marriage. So, so many people look at this verse 
as if the burden is placed solely on the wife, but actually it's the husband who has given the strongest charge here from the word of God. This verse was intended to safeguard the wife and not excuse the husband. So a wife is to be subject to the husband under the auspices of a godly marriage when a husband is fulfilling the biblical role of what it means to fulfill his vow. So if a husband is abusive, he does not love his wife as Christ loved the church. Can you say praise the Lord? If a husband is unfaithful, he does not love his wife as Christ loved the church. If a husband is, oh, somebody ought to preach with me right now. If a husband is unkind and uncaring, he does not love his wife as Christ loved the church. And all the husbands ought to be clapping their hand right now. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's your cue, sir. We love our wife as Christ loved the church. And we give of ourselves. You know, if you look at what Jesus did as he formed the church, pastor is a manning. Pastor is setting an example for the church this morning. And if you look at the example of what Jesus did, Jesus was constantly, what was he doing? He was giving of himself and forming the bride. All right. Now let's move on. And I've got about three minutes. So I know it got a little quiet there, but we were okay. It went, went over better than I thought it would. Proverbs 11. <laughs> so... God blesses givers. I'm going to end with this. God blesses givers. Do you believe that today? I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures very quickly, and I could give you my opinion about it, but I just want to take you right to the word of God. Proverbs 11 and 24. There is one who scatters and yet increases more. In other words, there's one who's constantly giving. He's constantly scattering of his resources to others, into other areas, and yet he is increasing. Now, that defies logic, doesn't it? That we would constantly be giving and yet constantly increasing. But that's the principle of what it means to be a godly giver. And there is one who withholds more than is right. In other words, there's someone who's unfair, he's selfish, he's dishonest in his dealings, and it leads to what? It leads to poverty. So selfishness and an ungiving spirit leads to poverty. But the generous soul will be made what? Will be made rich. Now that doesn't just mean with money, but will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. That's powerful, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. He which soweth sparingly. Now we're going to continue this theme. He who soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. So if you give a little, you're going to get a little. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he hath purposeth in his heart, so let him give. We already read this part. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. Proverbs 21 and 26. He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous... How many want to be righteous today? But the righteous giveth and spareth not. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. Did we read that already? We did. Luke 6 and 38, give and it shall be given unto you. We all know this one. Can we read it together? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. 
I want to have the heart of a giver this time of year and all. And you know what? I want to take it out of December and I want to take it into January and February and March and April. And even in the summertime, I want to have the heart of a giver. How many would join with me just by standing right now and lifting up your hand to heaven and saying, Lord, I'm thanking for the gifts he's given you. Can we just take a moment and be grateful for all that God's done for us right now? Lord, help us to be able to give back, Lord all that you've done for us and all the people who have invested in our lives, all the godly influences, Lord, that have blessed our lives. I thank you for it, God. I thank you for this season of giving where we are reminded that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, Lord. Help us to have a right spirit, a right attitude, a clean heart, God. And Lord, I pray that you would bless every family under the sound of my voice, Lord, that they would have a blessed Christmas, God. And not just... Those that are here, but our extended family today, we love you. We praise you. Could you clap your hands to the Lord right now? Just give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.